0: On June 5th, 1960, sometime between the hours of 4 and 6 a.m., four teenagers were savagely attacked while camping at the edge of Lake Bodum in Finland. Only one survived.
1: This unsolved crime has spawned a number of theories and potential suspects, including a KGB spy and the surviving victim himself. It also inspired a 2016 horror movie called Lake Bodum.
0: This is based on a true crime.
1: Welcome, everyone, to episode four of Based on a True Crime. My name is Chelsea, and I love true crime.
0: And my name is David, and I love horror movies.
1: We're both pretty excited about the episode for this week. I'm excited because this is a crime I had actually not heard of until David found this movie. And I'm also excited because this is our first unsolved crime. That is... If you choose to believe that Andre Rand was the sole person responsible for all of those missing Staten Island children. And David's excited because um, this is a new horror movie that just came out in 2016 and it's been getting really great reviews. So, regardless of this podcast existing, this is a movie that we would have watched.
0: Absolutely. So we wanted to start off by giving a shout out to at mysteries underscore crimes underscore curiosities on Instagram, who guessed our weekly challenge. And this week we posted sketches of the unknown killer in the Lake Bottom murders. So if you check out their site, it's books, bullets, and bad com. They're also working on a book about Finnish crimes and mysteries, which will be published in English. So keep an eye out for that.
1: Yeah. If you end up listening to the podcast and you're really interested in learning more more about the Lake Bottom murders. This person seems to be the uh, the person to get in contact with. They seem to have some expertise, and they guessed our image right away.
0: This week, we're discussing the Lake Bodom Murders, which took place in Espoo, Finland in 1960. This mystery surrounding the unsolved multiple homicide has garnered a lot of interest over the years, spawning a melodic death metal band called Children of Bodom in the early 90s and a failed attempt to convict a suspect in 2005. Most recently, in 2016, it has inspired a Finnish horror film called lake bottom directed by Tanelli mustanen which we watched for this week's episode
1: so before we get into the meat of the case i just want to first ask the forgiveness of all of our listeners in advance because we will probably be butchering a lot of names of people and places involved i'm not very good at phonetics in general and with it being a finnish murder i feel like i'm doubly screwed
0: so we'll do our best here yeah on June 4th, 1960, two teenage couples decided to go camping on the shore of Lake Bottom in Espoo, Finland. Anya Toluki Maki and Malia Ermelli Bjorklund were both 15, and their boyfriends, Seppo Antero Boisman and Nils Wilhelm Gustafsson, were 18. The four teens had traveled from Vanta, a town about 30 minutes east of Espoo. They set up their tent on the grounds of the Oita Manor House, on a slight slope in the shade. The boys left their motorcycles against two nearby trees.
1: There's not much information online about what the teens did during the day, or at least not much I could find in English. Under hypnosis, Gustafsson said that they sat around talking between 8 and 10 p.m. that night, and he and Boisman drank, but the girls did not. In 2003, however, he said that everyone was drinking. The teens had brought a bottle of Salmasarin vina, a bottle of citrus liqueur, and two bottles of pilsner. One empty bottle of pilsner, one full bottle of pilsner, and the empty bottle of of citrus liqueur were found at the scene. However, the bottle of that vino was missing.
0: Bjorklund had brought her songbook with her on the camping trip and she made an entry that night which read fifth day camping at Lake Bodom. Seppi and Nice were drunk. Up at 2 a.m., Seppi was fishing. Under hypnosis, Gustafsson reported going to sleep after drinking and being woken up before sunrise by Bozeman getting out his fishing rod. He said they walked together to the beach. He was planning to go swimming, but the water was too cold, so he returned to the tent while Bozeman continued to fish. When he returned, the girls were awake. This may be when Bjorklund made her journal entry. Bozeman returned reporting that he was not able to catch any Fish, and then, according to Gustafsson, they went back to sleep, and the next thing he remembered was waking up in the Red Cross station.
1: While under hypnosis, Gustafsson would recall further details. He would recall hearing the girls screaming and being unable to open his eyes because they were full of blood. He would recall seeing blood on his girlfriend, Bjorkland, and he would recall a man with long blonde hair combed back and a medium build, with a round face and a straight nose and thick lips. He wore a dark sweater and carried a pipe-like object in one hand and a knife in the other.
0: The attack on the four campers is believed to have happened between 4 and 6 a.m. Nights are short in Finland in the summer, and sunrise would have taken place around 4 a.m. that June, so it's certainly possible that Gustafsson got a good look at their attacker if the attack occurred during this window of time. Around 6 a.m., a group of boys who were birdwatching a short distance from the murder scene reported seeing the tent collapsed with either Gustafsson on top of it or just a leg visible, depending on the news source. They also saw a blonde man walking away from the scene. However, they did not investigate further.
1: It was five hours later, at 11 a.m., when Risto Siren, a carpenter who was out for a jog, stumbled across the gruesome scene. Maki, Bjorklund, and Boisman had all been stabbed and bludgeoned to death, while Gustafsson sustained a concussion, a fractured jaw, and multiple facial bruises, but survived. It was also reported from some sources that he had a deep knife wound on his forehead. However, a picture of him at the hospital following the attack showed no such wound. In a state of shock, Gustafsson initially claimed to have been attacked by a figure clad in black with glowing red eyes, leading some to say that their attacker had been the Grim Reaper himself.
0: It is believed that the attack began with the assailant cutting the ropes of their tent, causing it to collapse on top of them, trapping the teens inside. The assailant then attacked through the sides of the tent with a knife and blunt instrument. Bjorklund had sustained the brunt of the attack with multiple stab wounds that occurred after death. She was also found lying on top of the tent, undressed from the waist down. It seems likely that the killer moved her body after killing her. The boys who were out birdwatching said that if there was a naked woman on the collapsed tent when they saw it, they would have remembered.
1: Multiple items were missing from the campsite, including articles of the victim's clothing, wallets, and Gustafsson's shoes. Some of the missing clothing and Gustafsson's shoes were found partially hidden about 500 meters from the site of the murders. However, other items taken, including Boisman's jacket, were never found. Gustafsson's shoes were really the only piece of evidence investigators had since the murder weapons were also never found. The shoes were covered in blood splatter on the outside, but there was a void on the inside, indicating that the shoes had been on someone's feet at the time of the murders. Tracks of blood and footprints near the tent indicated that they had been worn by the attacker.
0: The lack of motive and the random, brutal nature of the attack in a country and area where these attacks are not common led to both intense police investigation by perhaps a less experienced police force and intense public interest. Unfortunately, these aspects combined when the police called on the general public to help search the area around Lake Bodum for the murder weapons and other objects of interest. With the crime scene thoroughly contaminated and no apparent motive, the trail quickly went cold.
1: Over the following years, a number of suspects have emerged, some more far-fetched than others. We're going to discuss them in sort of the order of less likely to more likely, which is, of course, a matter of our own opinion, but also a matter of kind of the amount of information available on each person of interest.
0: Polly Loma, a runaway from a local work department, was an early suspect who was interviewed by police during their investigation. However, he had a valid alibi and was cleared. Pinti Soinen was another suspect who actually confessed to the murders in the late 1960s while he was in jail for a number of property and violent crimes. Soynin lived close to the site of the Bodum murders in 1960. However, he would have only been 15 at the time. The police interrogated him, but did not find his confession to be credible. Shortly after confessing, in 1969, Sonnenen committed suicide by hanging himself in a prisoner transport station.
1: One of the prime suspects in this case was Carl Valdemar Gilstrom. Gilstrom was known as the kiosk man because he ran a kiosk nearby to the lake. He was notorious for hating campers and was very aggressive in this hatred, even throwing rocks at passing children. Days after the murders, Gilstrom was seen filling a well in his front yard, leading to the suspicion that that may be where the murder weapons are hidden. He also supposedly confessed to the murders while having a drunken conversation with a neighbor. However, police disregarded him as a suspect after his wife said that he had been asleep at home with her at the time of the killing. In 1969, Gilstrom committed suicide by drowning himself in Lake Bodom. Uh, One source has said that he confessed to the triple murder in a suicide note. It was also reported that on her deathbed, his wife recanted his alibi, stating that Gilstrom threatened to kill her if she admitted to police that he was not home. However, we're not sure how accurate those reports are, considering that the police have not reopened their investigation into Gilstrom.
0: When Gilstrom was initially ruled out as a suspect police moved on in their investigation to another man, Hans Asman, an alleged KGB spy and former Nazi. The day after the murders occurred, on June 6, 1960, Assmann went to Helsinki Surgical Hospital with black fingernails and clothes covered in suspicious red stains, acting aggressive with staff and even feigning unconsciousness. He was briefly questioned by police, who said he had a solid alibi, which we can't find the details of online. As a result, they did not cross-examine any of the doctors or take the clothing for further testing, despite doctors' insistence that the stains on the clothing were blood. Aspen also had long blonde hair matching the description given by Gustafsson and other witnesses, which he cut off after this description was reported in the news. Aspen lived within five kilometers of Bodum, which was only a short distance from the shore of the lake.
1: Aspen is also suspected in a number of unsolved Finnish homicides, including Sari's murder and the Tulaladi double murder. Kaliki Sari was a 17-year-old Finnish girl who was murdered sometime after May 17, 1953. She was cycling home from a prayer meeting when, it is believed, she was attacked. Her remains were found in a bog on October 11, 1953. Asman owned a light brown opal, the same type of car witnesses saw near the murder scene. Astman also reportedly confessed to the crime in 1997 to Matti Pilaro, a former police officer, saying that his driver had hit the girl by accident and they had to cover it up as a murder due to the nature of their spy work.
0: The Tulaladi double murders occurred in July of 1959. A 21-year-old student nurse and a 23-year-old secretary went missing during their cycling holiday in eastern Finland. Their bodies were located in a makeshift double grave on Lakeside at the Tullahati camping site, murdered with a knife and a rock. Their clothes were also missing, suggesting a sexually motivated homicide. The location of their bodies at a camping site, and the murder weapons being a combination of a knife and blunt object, definitely have uncanny similarities to the Lake Bodum murders. In this case, a vagabond was arrested and tried for the murders, but his guilt could not be proven. He committed suicide in jail in 1961.
1: Assman was the public's favorite suspect for the murders, with the widespread belief that he was dismissed not due to a solid alibi, but due to potential political connections as a KGB spy. However, this changed in 2004, when investigators reopened the case due to advanced technology revealing new blood evidence on the shoes from the scene, and also new witness testimony from a woman who was camping nearby. This evidence pointed to a new suspect, Niels Gustafsson.
0: The new witness had come forward the previous year to be interviewed for a documentary and claimed that the two teen boys entered her tent and that they were in fighting, with Gustafsson in particular behaving aggressively. This encounter helped to provide the basis for Gustafsson's motive in the killing, that he had been angry at his girlfriend for withholding sex, and he killed her in a rage, explaining the fact that her injuries are far more extensive than the other two victims.
1: A rough translation of the charges and timeline presented by the prosecution can be found online. In it, they alleged that sometime after 7 p.m., the boys visited a second group of campers at their campsite, about one kilometer away, at which point Gustafsson was already drunk and looking for a fight. They then returned to the campsite, where their fighting continued into the night, to the point where the three teens actually kicked Gustafsson out of their tent. It was after this that Gustafsson cut holes in the outside of the tent and finally cut the ropes holding the tent up, collapsing it. Gustafsson then assaulted Boisman and got kicked in the face during the struggle, which broke his jaw. He then stabbed Boisman in the neck, killing him. Maki tried to escape, but Gustafsson hit her in the head with a rock. He then hit Björklund in the face with the same rock before stabbing her multiple times in the neck.
0: Gustafsson then staged the scene, making it look like a robbery and sex crime. I suppose to cover all his bases. He hid his own shoes and some other clothing away from the campsite, where they were later found, and either sunk the murder weapons in the muddy lake or buried them in the ground. He ripped more holes in the tent, as evidenced by the fact that the cuts on the tent don't match up with those on the victims, indicating that a different edged weapon was used. Finally, he removed Bjorklund's clothes and moved her body to be on top of Mackie's after covering Mackie's face with a blanket. He then laid down on top of Bjorklund and waited to be found.
1: The prosecution also stated that none of Gustafsson's injuries were consistent with self-defense and that medical reports showed that Gustafsson was fully functional with his injuries, which should not have caused him any real loss of consciousness or of mobility.
0: The charges also went into some detail in the new blood evidence. A comprehensive investigation of the bloodstains showed that there was no blood of an outsider on the tent or on Gustafsson's shoes. The bloodstains on the tent also did not match Gustafsson's description of the positions they were sleeping in inside the tent. The prosecutor claimed that Gustafsson's blood inside the tent most likely came from Gustafsson touching the inside of the ripped tent while bleeding from his fight with Boiseman. The investigation also concluded that the shoes were on the murderer's feet when the crimes were committed due to blood splatter only on the outside with a void on the inside where the killer's foot would have been. It seems a bit more plausible for Gustafsson to be wearing his own shoes rather than an unknown assailant, but still not entirely outside of the realm of possibility.
1: The blood evidence was not conclusive, and the entire motive for the case rested solely on a witness who did not come forward for more than 40 years. Gustafsson stated that they never visited with the group of campers and that, if they had, Bjorklund would have wrote about it in the journal, where she was recording other events of their trip. There was also the lingering question about the other items that had gone missing and were never found, such as Boisman's leather jacket. The trial took three months, and in the end, Gustafsson was acquitted of all charges. He was also awarded... Forty-four thousand nine hundred euros from the state of Finland for mental suffering caused by both his time in prison awaiting the conclusion of the trial, and also by being accused of a crime where he was at least legally one of the victims. Despite his acquittal, Gustafsson is still considered by many to be guilty of the Lake Bodom murders. To this day, the Finnish media refer to N- Niels Gustafsson as. Quote, the in court acquitted, a rough translation meaning essentially that his innocence is still doubted, at least in the court of public opinion. During his trial, Gustafsson maintained the same story he had from day one that he couldn't remember anything and that he's innocent. When asked how he can be sure that he's innocent if he can't remember anything by a journalist, Gustafsson replied, quote, I'm innocent and that's that. All right, I, uh, I guess I feel like for the discussion, there's really only one question who done it? <laughs> so uh who do you think done it, David?
0: <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you that first. <laughs> oh. You go first. I think it was probably Gustafsson, despite his acquittal.
1: I feel like there is a little bit of um what is uh is it Occam's razor about the most likely I, I The I, is the, is the simplest explanation S- yeah, is the it. most likely <laughs> answer. Yeah.
0: So you think it's Gustafsson as well? Allegedly.
1: I think before jumping into that, I would like to get a look at Gilstrom's well. (laughs) You know, there's the rumor that he confessed to it in a suicide note, you know, that he had a conversation with a neighbor saying he did it. The fact that he killed himself, although I think he's like the third person to third suspect to have killed himself in this story. But I would be curious About what's in that well that he filled the day after the murder.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's really kind of creepy and scary. And you're right. The fact that there are that many suicides connected to this case, whether it's a cultural thing or
1: it's just a. Actually, I was just, when I was looking into doing the research for this case, I did see that apparently the suicide rate in Finland is very high. So. Okay. So it doesn't. Must be that lack of sunshine. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, you're right about the well. I think that's really scary, actually.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing to Gustafsson. They did make a very big deal of that blood evidence on his shoes, which I think almost every time I've gone camping, I've left my shoes outside of the tent because I don't want to track mud in. So it's not completely impossible for the killer to have... Slipped his shoes on before starting his murderous rampage. I guess it's just a little weird. (laughs) And I mean, there are things pointing to his innocence. The fact that although the woods were combed by not seasoned professionals, people still go there to this day looking for objects related to the case. And there are still items missing that belong to the campers. No one has found any murder weapons. And there's, you know, no indication that Gustafson took the stuff in his car and drove it home and then came back. So I think that that would indicate that there was another party which took stuff with them.
0: So could they, I mean, I guess they could use the lake as a disposal, right? I don't I mean, know. How...
1: I'm sure they've dragged the lake. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would be shocked if they haven't. I guess I have not read that they have, but also in um in the charges against Gustafson, they say that the the lake is muddy. You know, that's okay, the actual Okay, so any evidence use. could have
0: even if they dredged it or they you know, sent a scuba team down. They may not have uncovered anything that was disposed of.
1: But I think it's it would be one thing to hide a knife in the bottom of a muddy lake. It'd be another thing to hide a leather jacket.
0: I would be an awful murderer. I'd be like, oh, there's a lake right here. Just put all the evidence in there. It's underwater. It's fine. It'll- just
1: the leather jacket floating on top. <laughs> yeah. At the middle of the water. Yeah. Um-
0: It'll be like the raft. I would just think it's a Stephen King monster.
1: <laughs> I guess the other thing, there is that unsolved murder uh, the tulalati double murder that is a little bit similar. I mean, the bodies in this case were buried, but there's the fact that they were killed with both a knife and a blunt object. And it you was know.
0: within a year. It was within the... 10 months. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, there were women who were, it appeared to be a sex motivated crime. They were stripped naked the same way that Bjorkland was. You know, Why do
0: I always get to read the part about the awful <laughs> parts of the crime like that?
1: Um, I think that bad luck. Also, all the parts of the crime are awful. <laughs> they are. No,
0: it's true. It's true. I also th- am uh, not... I mean, I guess I'm fascinated by the idea that there would be extra holes that were um, carved into the tent um, beyond what would have... Damage to the bodies I don't know if that was like An attempt to Cover it up And make it look like If it it Let's say it was Gustafsson mm-hmm. Would that make it look like It was someone Unrelated to the party Would it look like There Looked were multiple like Perpetrators Peeking
1: into the tent And watching them sleep All oh, the thought is so creepy yeah. Between this story And uh Talking about the Cropsy legend last week I've changed my mind About going camping <laughs> Let's not do it this year
0: <laughs> Uh yeah, I was thinking about all the, um, you know, telling scary stories. Just the two of us <laughs> out camping, and I'm like, oh hell, I now. don't want to be responsible for both of us staying up all night.
1: Yeah, you keep your uh, scary stories to tell in the dark in the house. Or it's not coming with us. <laughs> Mad Myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell that one. I like that one. But this is kind of my worst nightmare. I do love camping, and... The fact that you're so vulnerable, this tiny piece of cloth essentially between you and anything, and you know, in this case, anything turned out to kill three people um, in terms of if Gustafsson did it or not, I just, I honestly don't know. And I think it's a hard one to read about online because a lot of people just say he did it to the point where I kind of hope he did it because that would make it maybe suck a little bit less because like yeah everyone's talking smack about you but at least you got away with murder whereas like not only are you completely innocent but you are a victim of this horrific crime and everyone thinks you did it
0: oh that would be awful and the fact that I mean at least at the time or now there could be a killer at large or maybe they died years ago, but still, any, any of the cases where there's, you know, unsolved crimes and, you know, multiple homicides, it's like, what sort of lurking, creepy... Especially
1: just completely random. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's talk about the movie. <laughs> let's go
0: camping. No. In the summer of 1960, brutal murders at Lake Bodom shocked the nation. Four teenagers were viciously attacked as they slept in their tents. The killer is still at large. As time went by, the Bodum mystery spawned countless theories on what really happened during that fateful night. This movie is inspired by those stories. So that's the opening text of Lake Bodum, the 2016 film that is inspired by the Bodum murders. This film... Is currently a Shudder exclusive, but you can also rent it on iTunes and Amazon and elsewhere. We watched it through Shudder, which was a pretty great way to throw it on the TV.
1: Hey, they're not paying us to advertise yet. Shudder, call me.
0: So Lake Bottom was screened at South by Southwest this year. It was also at the Overlook Film Festival before hitting Shudder. And I had heard about it from a podcast from, actually, Shockwaves, which they're also not sponsoring the podcast. But since they're my one of my top podcasts I listen to, that is how I heard about the film. And I believe within a week it was on the service and we were watching it. So Chelsea and I both looked at the trailer for the movie. We thought this would be a great film to talk about. So was, this is one of the cases where the film came first for us. Yeah. And then we read about the true crime aspect of it. However, the true crime portion of Lake Bodum, while it's present, it is not a recreation of the murders. It does not take place in the 60s. It takes place in modern times. And it starts off with these two boys who have convinced these two young women to go along with them on a camping trip. And there's a little bit of question how they convinced the uh the women to come along with them so did they promise that there would be other parties involved was there gonna be a cabin what type of weekend trip was this going to be and you quickly find out that they didn't really explain things quite the way that uh, they should have properly
1: yeah um turns out that one of those two boys is uh a bit of a true crime fanatic himself and he leads these girls to the lake because he is very interested in um the 1960 lake bodum murders and he suspects that perhaps the the killer is still haunting the lake or still present at the lake and that if they go there as two boys and two girls camping together they might lure him out of hiding
0: without any plan as to what to do once they lure him out so it's kind of like an interesting setup because you can see these kids are they're all in different situations that they probably didn't intend but yeah so they get there and without a plan i'm sure like a lot of us have gone on camping trips unprepared but this group is seriously unprepared
1: Yeah, but they didn't just forget their toilet paper.
0: They did have some drugs, though.
1: Yes, of course. <laughs> what horror movie would be complete without pot smoking and premarital sex?
0: And needless to say, there's a lot of... There aren't jump scares. This movie does do a good job of not having too many jump scares. I feel like all of the spooky moments of it are paid off. They pay off. Yeah. So there's, there's that.
1: I agree. I feel like... Although we don't respect spoilers on this podcast, we should say if you're at all interested in watching this movie, just stop listening now because there's a big twist. So stop. Stop. Are you gone? All right, good. Let's talk about the twist.
0: Okay, so I feel like this this half of the episode would be very difficult to talk about without... Um, discussing what happens a little less than halfway through the movie. Actually, I guess right about the halfway point, and it happens. Well, let me take that back. As we were watching it, we you had commented on how minutes. soon. Yeah, it's like the forty, 40 minute minutes.
1: Happens forty minutes into the movie.
0: Right when yeah. the film changes tone to a great degree and no longer becomes about anything about the Bodum murders, really. It for beca- a little
1: while, anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: spoiler alert for the spoiler alert. <laughs> For the big reveal for the twist. Yeah, you're right. I feel like this movie does not hinge upon the twist. You just kind of experience it as you're watching it. By this film being a slasher movie anyway, it definitely brings in some interpersonal drama that I thought was refreshing for this type of film. Basically, you're set up that there is someone killing that is going to kill the group, right?
1: Yes. So there are the four campers. There's two boys and two girls as we said and that's basically it so it's not like the typical horror movie where there's quite a bit of cannon fodder there's really just the four of them and pretty early on so two one one of the girls nora and one of the boys leave the the tent and Ida, and the uh the true crime boy i can't remember his name yeah he's a
0: murderino <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to say murderino on our podcast. Oh, he's
0: a crime merino.
1: Yeah, based on a true crime Oh <laughs>
0: Perfect.
1: Him and Ida are in the tent and they hear, you know, noises outside. And he leaves the tent to investigate, thinking it, it's their friends trying to pull a prank. And um, when he leans back in to talk to Ida, he gets stabbed in the back and um, essentially bleeds out. And, you know, the other two campers come back and find Ida holding him as he's dying, and they, they run away. They realize that there's, you know, a killer there, and they run off heading for the car. The other girl, Nora, trips and twists her ankle as they're running, and they end up leaving her at a tree with a kind of tomahawk to defend herself, and um, the boy and girl keep running and um i don't know how much detail we want to get into
0: well if we're doing spoilers it's going to be part part of you guys who have seen it and are following along or there's some of you who are just Just, uh, morbidly curious or don't care about spoilers so
1: all right so let's go with the tradition of you having to talk about the awkward bits so why don't you talk about the uh the naked pictures
0: (laughs) yeah so there's a subplot involving some nude photographs that have been spread that are of ida who apparently was at a party and was taken advantage of. And then these photographs were spread around school. So this has been, she's been depressed for months, has been sort of hiding away. But at the same time, her family, or at least her father, is very strict and judgmental. So she has a tough time at home, while also socially a pariah. So she's going through some very difficult things. And then Nora, who is sort of... her close friend that you know seems to be helping her through this guiding her helping her to get out of the house to go on this trip with these boys it's sort of her her first time getting back into the world and then they end up with this sort of bizarre experience where um well i guess i'll just cut to the chase is that um Nora has planned to murder these boys in retaliation because she is convinced or at least has told Ida that They're the ones responsible for the photographs. Spoiler alert: there are no photographs. And when Ida discovers this while they're driving away to dispose of the car,
1: no, you got to go back. um, Yeah, talk about the the conversation. So, uh, what is that boy's name?
0: Elias is the. Elias. um, Tattooed.
1: All right. So Elias is the boy that actually Ida had a crush on him. Before she thought that he was the one that took these pictures. So, her and Elias are kind of the last two that are running away. And, you know, he actually stops her while they're running because he feels like he needs to tell her, you know, that he had looked for the naked pictures and could not find them. And he believes that they do not exist, that all the kids are just kind of lying about having seen them to fit in the way that really shitty teenagers do. Mass Um, hysteria. Yeah. Um, But as he is telling Ida this story, Nora comes up from behind and stabs him and kills him. And then they reveal that although the boys thought they were tricking the girls into coming and camping in this weird sort of seancey um situation trying to reenact the lake bodum murders actually the girls tricked the boys out there to kill them
0: yeah and they'll like reveal that there is a killer behind him i thought was done super well it was so yes. sudden and it was sort of a first person you know camera shot and then i think we both said is, it, is that it's, a woman it's a girl <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> um yeah no that was extremely well done i really loved the twist um, we'll get into some things i didn't like about it later but i feel like let's just keep going over the entire plot of the movie because this is fun yeah yeah <laughs> you, right, you guys go should next. look
0: yeah well okay yeah it just reminds me you should look up i think it's like arnold schwarzenegger audio commentary for like total recall where he basically telegraphs the entire movie remember when we were on blah, mars blah, 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 <laughs> and it's like yeah it's like you hey, remember that one time and like, <laughs> yeah i remember that okay so they're left with disposing of the boys bodies because they're both dead right and like i said there's a lake right there see yep easy peasy yeah these two women were prepared they had like sort of rain gear whatever protective clothing so that they could get the bodies together
1: suits they brought Tyvek suits in these giant um like hard case pink suitcases so at the beginning you're like oh these dumb girls going camping with their giant suitcases who does that and it's like Badass murderers do.
0: It's true. So they weigh the bodies down, and the bodies sink, and then they're ready to go to the car, and they get in the car, and they realize, however, that the car keys were with Elias. So Ida, Ida, <laughs> lucky Ida, <laughs> has to do some diving in order to get down, and and well, by telling you, we're removing the tension. A lot, of, very tension. It's a lot of tension, and then she gets the car keys. So this is when we have a flashback revealing what happened between Nora and Ida and some jealousy is
1: involved. Yes. Nora is jealous that Ida is kind of pulling away as she's developing this crush on Elias and... And Nora's
0: in love with Ida. Yeah. So it's really complicated. And then I guess just... Plan is hatched in her head to kind of set this framework up to, I guess, to kill kill the kill
1: the, well, kill the boys in order to eliminate them. Here's how them far ahead she's thinking. So, well, not maybe how far ahead, but um, you know, initially she just starts the rumor about the photos, and she also tells Ida that she saw these photos. Um, so you know, the rumor starts, it spreads you know, basically just consumes Ida to the point where it was actually her idea to kill the boys. Oh, yep. So, you know, maybe it it worked. I don't know if that would be better than she hoped or worse than she hoped. But, um, you know, essentially that's where this idea comes from. And it's actually during this moment when they're driving away that Nora admits that the photos didn't exist and that, you know, she did, start the rumor so they get into a fight while driving which is never a good idea save your fights for when you're not driving because
0: well accidents happen
1: (laughs) yeah yep (laughs) at the least
0: opportune moment especially in a horror movie especially in a camping movie especially in a slasher movie yep so you know this is this is the there's a moment where i was like is Jason Voorhees gonna pop out? <laughs> but well, no. Someone popped out. Someone pops out, and uh, he he has a tow truck. Yeah. So, you know, it's like this person's going to help. No, no. Yeah, I never thought. I'm, I never I'm thought sure for a second that, that this person that was going to help headlight
1: backlighting. He was coming to help. No, no, no. <laughs> no. No, no. He's he had a terrifying silhouette, which is basically all you see of this person for the entire movie.
0: Yeah. Well, yep, pretty much.
1: And then uh but there was the great reveal that happens in this scene. So, um as this silhouetted figure was approaching the car, um you know, Nora asked Ida for her knife, thinking that they might have to kill him. He's he saw them in the car. He can go to the police and say that they were there. So they need to kill him in order to get away with their murder and um, Ida says she doesn't have a knife. So then Nora asks Ida, "But how did you kill Ate?"
0: And she's like, "I didn't."
1: She says, "I thought you did that, Nora." And I think that's kind of the moment that, you know, the hair rises on the back of your neck because when I was watching it I thought Nora did it. After it was revealed that they had killed, you know, after she killed Elias, I thought, oh, she must have also killed Ate.
0: Right. And I think there isn't there a shot where you like see the tow truck man's boots or something. And it's that that's when you're like, these were the feet that we saw before Ate got stabbed because you see just the pair of shoes. I think that's an interesting callback to the original crime in that you're like, you don't know whose feet they are. Yep. right so it's like was it just flipping back to the first murder of ate i was thinking of the original murders and how maybe it was one of the group for like a second yep. but then i thought no it's going to be like a jason like killer yep. or, you know from the woods and it turns out that that was the case
1: well it turns out both were well, the case were, Yeah, was both of, so <laughs> yeah. that's just,
0: i that the film is really smart in the way that it handles the multiple levels of not twists but just plot reveals
1: yeah all right so um Shall we just quickly go through the rest of the movies? I feel like the ending is like, meh. I mean, at yeah. least I think we both agreed yeah. that the ending was a little meh.
0: So the flashbacks oh, are great. I think that learning more about the story and the motivation behind why they um, you know, went along with this camping trip and, you know, murdered the boys was really engaging. I thought that the the sort of love story and Nora falling for Ida and and being jealous of, you know, her um, growing interest in someone that wasn't her, I don't know, it, it felt authentic for the film and it was also refreshing to see sort of a, the plot play out like that. And then, you know, the fake out with, but there is also a slasher murderer in the woods who is, like you said, he, they don't really reveal much of him. He looks just like a regular dude though. It doesn't seem supernatural. It just seems like it could be someone who just had been getting away with it or operating under the radar. as he will yeah um but i will say once that reveal is made the film goes off the rails a bit because the tow truck pulling them and then speeding up and then they're like trapped in the car and then there's a big scene where they're trying to escape or whatever and then the car flips and then you see him go to hunt the women down and you're like well he can't get both of them well then he has a dog right But immediately after that, kind of the film lost me because it suddenly goes into a um, almost like torture, porny, punishing women angle that was just really gross and uncomfortable and unpleasant.
1: Essentially, he glues their lips together. And I Which don't know why. That. Like, I don't even
0: understand that. why. So there's the, the last five minutes of the movie are just like the women covered in blood and grime. And they're just being held captive.
1: Oddly, their outfit has been changed. So now they're in like 50s era bathing suits. But those were
0: the bathing suits that Atta had brought along. Yeah. But he never explains what he wanted to do with them. Other than they're both like, maybe the women will fit in these bathing suits or whatever. Well, I
1: guess it's supposed like to attract the killer since he had a thing for ladies in the six early 60s. I guess so, yeah.
0: Yeah, so the movie definitely just putters out for me.
1: I mean, they don't show much of it, but essentially the girls wake up in the bathing suits with their mouths glued shut, and this mysterious man puts them in the tent that's been set back up, and the other two boys you know dead bodies are mysteriously in the tent and
0: they're getting close to morning because there's a thing that both of them are talking about trying to get home by breakfast so they're gonna sink the car and then be home and it's like there's only three hours of the night left yeah so how that happens without him being spooky natural i don't know (laughs)
1: yeah well that's not it because there's like the frenzy of okay now he's on the outside stabbing through the tent just like in the 1960 murder and it's just a lot of close-ups of the girls screaming and then suddenly ida wakes up on the front porch of her house right and that's the end of the movie (laughs) yeah
0: and that's it's that's it yeah that's the end she's the i guess the final girl
1: yeah i guess All right. So right after finishing the movie, I think we both had similar feelings about the ending, you know, not quite loving it. So why don't you talk about your thoughts first?
0: So they take you in one direction, which is that these two women had this plot. We're planning this based on relationship drama and just a complicated situation. And then they throw in the slasher, which feels just really thrown in and out of place. And it's such a, Tiny part of the story that I think it was the filmmaker's attempts to somewhat pull some legitimacy, I guess, is like with quotes to tie back to the actual crimes themselves. And I think that, you know, he's positing that this slasher is Gustafsson because there's a prologue where. It's like obviously 1960 and it's on the lake and it's like one of the group of the campers is sharpening a knife and they kind of pause on him and flash forward to the whole movie happens. And then there's a similar scene of him sharpening a knife on a soapstone, which I think that's pretty clear who they're saying they think it is, but they turn it into sort of this weird supernatural slasher killer character.
1: My feelings were very similar. I think what I found to be problematic about that framing of the movie was they were very heavy with their intimation that this was Gustafsson who did the initial killing and then came back all these years later to kill again. Which, which...
0: one thing for us to say, we think it may have been been him, even though he was acquitted. But for the film and the tone of the film to jump into that conclusion, or at least try to tell us that that's what happened, it just sits wrong with me.
1: I think no one who thinks he did it thinks he's a Jason-like serial killer who still lives on the lake and kills any campers that try to set up a tent in the same spot. Which is another reason that I I kind of found the motives of this character to be very odd. So you have the parallel of four campers with one survivor being Ida. But why would this be the kind of prototype for the murder if the only reason that there was one survivor last time was because that survivor was also the killer? And you also have this weird, almost ritualistic killing method where, you know, they have to be wearing these bathing suits and they have to be in the tent with the two boys, which just makes no sense without there being some kind of supernatural element that was completely missing from the plot of the movie. And I feel like, I guess maybe I personally was just a little bit disappointed because seeing that opening scroll saying that the movie was based on people's theories about the crime, I was kind of hoping it was gonna be like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> so like that <laughs> that cloaked figure with the red eyes. I was like, man, I would love if they kind of brought that in and expanded on it. It just seems like it would be a cool direction to take it in. but they did not take it in that direction. And I also think it's just, you know, as we were said when we were discussing the crime, you know, it's a little unfair to someone who was found innocent so not only are you guilty but you are now the villain in a horror movie
0: (laughs) them's the brakes.
1: yeah them's the brakes. don't go camping
0: so i have a question and that is do you think that that's a big enough i don't know mistake of the movie or creative decision that how far does it bring the film down in your eyes like let's say does it knock a star off of it or
1: i mean it it knocks a star off of it. You know how I feel like I'm a stickler for movie endings. I think a bad ending, it does retroactively impact the way I feel about an entire film. But I do think that the movie does have some really good things going for it. I think the twist with the girls was a really original idea. And I also really like the double twist where you think that one of the girls had killed the boy and it turned out to be an entirely separate party. So I like that. I just, I did not like the ending and I did have some issues with the pacing of the movie. I kind of wish that that first 40 minutes before the first reveal had gone on for a little bit longer and kind of built a little bit more tension. But it is hard when you don't have that much cannon fodder. Once you kill one of the boys, there's only one more left to kill. So, yeah, I mean, the ending, of course, affected <laughs> affected the way I feel about the movie.
0: Yeah, I had a really visceral reaction to it as we were watching it, like yelling at the TV. And Which That
1: glue on the lips—you hated it, especially when she's screaming and like they pull apart. No, that was oh.
0: awful. I did not like that at all, and I was yeah. like, yeah, it was like my gut reaction is like, I no longer like this movie. But as we're discussing it, I think that it's so nuanced, and the the uh, the multiple storylines, you know, are so pretty original for a slasher movie that I think it gives it a lot of artistic merit. And I'm rethinking my rating of it because it definitely like knocked it down a bunch after we had finished watching it. But at the same time, I think I I, I was kind of like, oh, no, the reveal happened much later in the film. And you had mentioned it was I like... I made
1: you rewind it to Yeah, we were like, right. oh,
0: no, I think it's right. No, it was about an hour. No, oh, no. And it was like right at the 40-minute mark. I'm like, Chelsea, you're, you're right. I'm sorry yeah. for doubting you. Yeah. The crime is interesting, of course. There is no identified killer... It's been 50 years, almost 60 years.
1: Yeah, almost 60 years. It's
0: been almost 60 years. I don't know. It's kind of amazing that this is the first major film to be inspired by the story, at least that has made it here and has wide distribution. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fun fact, maybe this will make the film a little less scary. So they could not film at Lake Bodom for one major reason. They wanted to film it, at the murder site, however, very very near to the murder site, they're building the Angry Birds theme park. What? Yeah. So they had to find another lake what? to film Lake Bodom at.
1: Oh my gosh! I hope they put a little plaque. <laughs> yeah. That says site of the Bodom murders, now site of Angry Birds go round. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. We should probably go there for research purposes. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The murder site's just a bird's throw away from the theme park.
1: Ooh. Yeah, so we have clearly a lot of feelings about this movie. Good feelings. It's, I think, a really original concept. Very well acted. Very well made.
0: Oh, it's beautifully shot. Just, You're right. Yeah,
1: but we have some issues with the ending. So you know, if you've already seen this movie if this podcast has inspired you to go check out this movie, please let us know what you think. I would love to get some more opinions on this movie just because I go back and forth so much <laughs> with my own feelings.
0: And it's also one of those movies where, across the board, critics seem to really like it and aren't as uh, focused on the, the mouth-sealing gross ending as i guess i was
1: or aren't worried about niels gustafson's tarnished reputation i suppose yep so let's wrap this thing up we've been talking forever (laughs) yeah Um,
0: yeah like chelsea said if you've seen it drop us a line and let us know what you thought or if you're screaming at your iphone or whatever as we're talking about it because you disagree We love to have debates on film and would love to discuss the true crime nature of it as well because it's a fascinating case. So that's Lake Bodom and the Bodom Murders. We hope you've enjoyed this journey of the crimes and of the film. So as we wrap this up, we're going to jump into our segments on Now Playing and Coming Soon. So Chelsea, what's Now Playing for you?
1: Now Playing for me is the original Broadway cast recording of Dear Evan Hansen. I told David I was going to do this, and now I'm doing this. Um, the Tony Awards were this weekend, and I just got sucked in by the the cast doing Waving Through a Window, and I've been listening to it nonstop on Spotify. I'm super jealous of my parents. They're going to go see the play on the 28th, and they're just gonna have to tell me all about it because i love it it makes me cry it makes me smile it's basically all i could listen to besides all of the murder podcasts that i listen to so what's your now playing
0: my now playing is twin peaks the original series we just finished it up actually a day ago so it's really fresh in my mind and uh no it was it was it's a great show and um it's just unfortunate that it couldn't continue. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is continuing. So we're going to talk about coming soon here in a second, which will tie into this story. But Chelsea, what's your coming soon?
1: Well, my coming soon is going to be the new season of Twin Peaks. So you got me. Is that also your coming soon?
0: That's also my coming soon.
1: Yeah. So yeah, this the show first aired in the early 90s when I was just a, a wee baby. So I was not obviously cool enough to get on that twin peaks train early and i absolutely loved seasons one and two and we do need to still watch Firewalk with me because david is insisting that we watch it whereas after the ending of the last episode of season two i am just dying to get into the new episodes so um that's uh that's my coming soon and i guess i'm guessing that's yours
0: that's also my coming soon. Twin Peaks all the time. All Woo-hoo.
1: the time. <laughs> so then for our next episode, we'll do uh, Twin Peaks and the Hazel Drew murder.
0: I thought we were doing um, A Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: <laughs> um, we'll see. So before we sign off, I just wanted to send out a huge, huge, huge thank you to Walfy the Wonder Dog exclamation point, who left us our very first and only review on iTunes saying that they love this podcast. So this just made my day. It We knew that there was a review. It took us a little while to get to it because it didn't show up in our American iTunes uh, account, but we finally got to it and it just made us both so happy. So thank you so much, uh, Walfi the Wonder Dog. And if you're listening and you like what you hear make me happy give us a review when we started this podcast I kind of thought our only listeners would be our immediate family and close friends and the fact that one person (laughs) listened (laughs) that I don't know and liked us enough to leave us a review just blows my mind I'm so happy about that so make me happy (laughs) and leave me a review
0: yeah please do because it's like chelsea said it was really exciting to to get that kind of feedback and to know that you know we're not just shouting into the empty airway. not that
1: there's anything wrong with that <laughs> yeah
0: yeah but, uh, you know, we want to create something that's enjoyable to you guys. And,
1: uh... and also shout out to my dad, who had uh, very good feedback for our last episode about Cropsy. He said when he was listening to it, or <laughs> my mom said when he was listening to it, he was talking back at the podcast because uh, at one point we were talking about the Camp Time Slashers. And he just wanted to make sure that we knew that one reason that there are all of these camp time horror movies which i think is also very relevant to lake bodum is that they're super cheap to film <laughs> so kind of kind of done our part i wish we had thought of it last week but you know without needing a set the f- woods are your set um they're really easy to film so my dad is a huge horror movie buff they're gonna come out to visit us this summer and he'll definitely be uh co-hosting one of these episodes.
0: And also look out for our summer camp horror movie coming in 2018.
1: <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> all right.
0: So as Chelsea said, yeah, uh, please take the time to give us a review. It'll raise our visibility and hopefully we'll make it into iTunes new and noteworthy before our eight weeks is up as a young podcast. That would be awesome to get in there. Anyway, if you want to reach out to us on social media, please be sure to follow us at based on a true crime on Instagram. That's where we're most active. It's most, rewarding it's a visual medium and please feel free to follow and like and comment and message us through there you can also follow our facebook page at based on a true crime and there we post some of the same stuff but you know how facebook is Eh, some people like it versus instagram some people are the other way around so give us a like over on our page on twitter we are at true crime based we try to post when new episodes are up You know how Twitter is. It's different for everyone. So we like Instagram the best, but please don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter as well. I don't tweet. I feel like Twitter would be great for polls and stuff, but we do have a couple of followers there. (laughs) So help us boost those numbers as well. And again, we just wanted to say thank you for sticking with us through our first couple of episodes. We're trying a couple of different audio recording techniques here and there so if you notice anything odd with the recording just please also give us a ring or a buzz or you know just write us and let us know how you're listening to our podcast and if there's anything you notice odd or if there's anything we notice you notice that we're doing great just please let us know
1: yeah especially the pc listeners we have heard from actually another podcast that i'm a big fan of color me dead that the audio sounds a little weird on the pc so we're trying something different this week so if it works let us know if it doesn't work let us know
0: (laughs) yeah it seems to not like my voice all the time so it's oh that's too bad i like your voice all the time (laughs) it's either too bassy or too troubly. um or too much like talking through a a tin can so we'll we're working to figure that out and get you the highest Fidelity audio recording.
1: I think we need a couple of those unicorns, like in the uh, Cinemark XD theater, just shooting your voice at people through their <laughs> headphones. Yep. All right, let's please end this now. <laughs> all
0: right, thanks so much for listening our Lake bodum murders episode. We'll catch you all in our next episode. Thanks so much. Bye
1: bye. Bye bye.